In those days, the crest was in service to the Shade, protectors of Hartvale. The city is buzzing with news of what happened in Valewater. Fortunately, with assistance from our allies in the Shade, we have managed to keep our involvement quiet. There has been no word out of the Royal Dispatch Company either, which I find suspicious. As purveyors of truth such as they see it, I can think of no good reason for them not to denounce us on every street corner. I have heard rumors that their leader has retreated into seclusion. Perhaps his absence and their silence on our conflict in Valewater speaks to who our true enemy is. If Felhart is truly incapacitated, then now is our time to strike, for it seems as though he is in league with these cultists of Vargosh. With the artifact Lefalia found in the bowels of that Kingsward safehouse masquerading as an inn, and the artifact recovered in a newly discovered Elfheim vault, it seems that these cultists of Vargosh must be dealt with after all. Our Shade Patron has informed us they've been spotted in the city-state of Davinar, and due to politics, our contract has been extended to the recovery or elimination of the Vidala threat. Some of our number will be leaving Hartvale to pursue this hunt, but we still have business with the Royal Dispatch Company. We have to determine the whereabouts of Efren Felhart and discover how deep his involvement is in the cult's actions. The board has been set, and our tasks have been decided. Now we must see it done. Welcome back for another episode of Errant Adventures. As always, I'm your Game Master and Solo Player, Steve Morrison. On this week's episode, the Soldiers of the Crest reunite in Veilwater and face the consequences of the Hidden Artifact's detonation. Find out what happens on episode 35, A Price to Pay. We left our heroes in an interesting situation last time. After having escaped from the Kingsward operatives who were trying to take them to the Royal Dispatch Company headquarters in Hartvale, Ben, Arid, and Orchid made their way back to Valewater. But what they found there is most certainly not what they expected. When they arrived, the town was quiet and seemingly abandoned. As they were walking the empty streets, they found Warden Stoker, the warden of Valewater, unconscious. 
At first, they thought she was dead, propped against a wall of a building. But when they looked closer, they realized that she was alive, barely, but unconscious. Feeling a grim sense of foreboding, they made their way towards the Griffin and Moon, and as they got closer, there seemed to be this death and decay that swept through the town, and they found animals that were twisted up and dead and decaying. They reached the inn, and inside they found soldiers of the crest and Kingsward operatives, as well as citizens of Valewater who were unfortunate enough to be dining in the Griffin and Moon at that time. Twisted, decayed, corrupted, and most certainly dead. They descended into the bowels of the inn, deep, deep underground, where they found four surviving members of the crest. The lieutenant, Lafalia, Master Sergeant Irongall, and two soldiers named Kine and Hadron. They were surrounding and protecting Lafalia, who was on her knees in front of this sickly green fleshy orb that was pulsating in front of them. And all around them, they saw signs of decay and corruption, except for a small patch of earth around where Lefalia and the Crest were. As they entered, Iron Gull turned and informed them that there had been some complications since they had been gone. And that's where we find our heroes now, as Ben, Arid, and Orchid survey this scene, and they are speechless. There is a sense of corruption and decay in the air. There are some bodies of some Kingsward operatives that tried to attack the crest in this underground cavern, and their bodies are gnarled and twisted and rotting. The crest soldiers steal themselves as they survey this grisly scene, and then Arid looks to Lafalia and says, Is she all right? It does not seem as though she is very responsive. Iron Gull shakes his head and says, No, she hasn't moved since this happened. Uh, just out of curiosity, Ben asks, How long ago was that? Iron Gull thinks for a moment and then says, I'm not entirely sure, but it can't have been long. A few minutes? We were down here and it started to pulse and thrum and she raised some sort of barrier around us and then it went off. Iron Gull looks towards the steps and says... If you're the first to come looking for us, I can only imagine what it looks like up there. Ben shakes his head and says, I'd suggest not imagining it, Sergeant. What are we going to do then? There are dead crest upstairs, dead kings were dead citizens, 
There were others outside animals that were destroyed and corrupted, but we did find Warden Stoker closer to the outskirts of town, and, and she was still alive, though unconscious. Iron Gall frowns and says, If she survived, then there might be others who survived. Ben nods, and then looks to Arid. And Iron Gall looks to Arid as well and says, Is there anything you can do for her? And Arid is going to approach... I think he is looking at the orb as he approaches Lafalia, and there is a grim look on his face as he studies it. And he just kind of shakes his head and says something in his own language that Ben doesn't catch. And then he crouches down in front of Lafalia and is going to study her. And to do that, he is going to harness the unspeakable power. Yes, we are back to Scup after a, a nice little side quest with Ironsworn. Uh, I love playing Ironsworn, and I hope to return to Ironsworn in the future. But it was time to get back to Scup and the Mythic GM emulator. So we're going to tap into the unspeakable power. When you try to harness the unspeakable power, roll plus arcane. On a hit, you may change the world in some minor but tangible way. On a 7 to 9, the MC will also hold one and may spend it on one of the following. The power knows what you're doing and why you're doing it. The power asks for something minor in return. The power requests some small show of loyalty. So I think this is what happens. Arid bends down, he studies her, he says some words in an arcane chant, and then he turns back to the sergeant and he says, She is hiding deep within herself. She has taken a great deal of mental stress from whatever it was that happened here. And it is very likely that she is dealing with that in her own way. I can try to bring her back with arcane power, but there is no guarantee. Irongal looks from Arid to Lefalia and then back to the floating orb. And he says, Arid, do you think that you can contain this thing? Arid looks at it and then says, I do not know. I have done such a thing with another artifact that we found. It is a long story, Sergeant, and I'm sure that you will hear it all. Suffice to say, we found another artifact belonging to the dead god. I do not wish to speak the name here. I was able to contain it, but... This is something different, and if my senses are correct, the lieutenant was trying to do a similar ritual, and she failed, and she is much more powerful than I am. In order to make this artifact dormant again, I will need her assistance, or perhaps she will need mine. All right then, do what you have to to bring her out of it. 
Yes, Sergeant. And we are going to roll 2d6 plus arcane. And Arid has an arcane of two. That is going to be a four on the dice plus two is a six. So that is a miss. We're right back at it here with Scup. So on a miss, we get to make a hard move. So I'm going to go back over to my oracles and look at my MC move table that I've created. I'm going to roll on that. 78. Hint at an unwelcome future. Okay. So Arid focuses his arcane power and he is speaking in a low chant around her. And as he chants, Lephalia, who again is just kneeling there with her hands in her lap, eyes closed, seemingly unresponsive, begins to twitch a little bit and display signs that she is responding, but not necessarily responding in the way that Arid intended. He begins to sweat as his chanting continues, and she twitches a little bit more, and then finally Arid stops, and he is silent for a moment, and then he looks up at Iron Gull, and he says, I am sorry, this is beyond me. I thinks that this artifact has made some sort of connection with her, and it would be gravely dangerous for us to break that connection in this state. I do not know what it would do. It could set it off again, and seeing what we have seen, I do not think that is a good idea. Iron Gull shakes his head and says, No, I don't think so either. Can we move... Her. Can they? Uh, let's ask the fate chart. I'm going to roll over the chaos factor that I used in the faction turn last episode, which was a chaos factor of seven. And I think it is likely that they can move her. 26, which is a yes. So they are able to move her without setting off the artifact. The other question, I suppose, is can they move the artifact? I think that is likely as well. 69, which is an absolute yes. So they are able to move both her and the artifact. In fact, I think that Arid says, I think it would be wise if we take them together. I do not believe that it is going to do what it did again, but I do not wish to separate them. I think that it would be unwise to do so. Iron Gull nods and says, All right, then let's get them back. Kine, Hadron, carry the lieutenant. The two soldiers sheathe their weapons and carefully, reverently even, lift her up 
Ered turns to the orb and he says a few words. He chants a little bit and he then nods and says, yes, yes, I think that this, this will be safe to move. He is going to turn to one of the crest soldiers. We'll say to Kine and say, Kine, do you have a spare cloak I could use? And Kine pulls one out of his bag and hands it over. Arid then throws the cloak over the orb and sort of like twists a knot in it and then yanks and it moves freely. It was suspended there in the air, not held up by any physical force that they could see. But as soon as he covers it with that robe and then sort of just tugs a little bit, it comes free and then just sort of he's holding it like a bundle. He says, I do not wish to hold on to this for long, so let us go. Yeah, let's get out of here before, well, well, before anybody who's still alive wakes up and comes wandering and wondering what's going on. They make their way up the steps. And as they emerge into the Griffin and Moon, Iron Gull looks around and just shakes his head a little bit and says, Briga's ten. This didn't have to happen this way. Ben, at his shoulder, says, It seems to be happening a lot lately. These artifacts, they are dangerous, clearly. And more so, there are people who are trying to get their hands on them. We can't allow that, Sergeant, can we? No, I don't think we can. And then he is going to exit out of the Griffin and Moon with the others in tow. I think at that point, they're going to find a couple other crests who are approaching, looking a little groggy. And Iron Gull is going to ask them what happened. They explained that they were on the outskirts of town when that wave came through. And uh, then they just all woke up where they were. There are other members of the town who are starting to wake up, including Warden Stoker. And as this is happening, what are the odds of the Red Fox showing up? Because I think this is an interesting question. Would she be able to feel this magic all the way in Heartvale? I'm going to say it is very unlikely, which is still a 50-50 shot. 33 is a yes. Yes, she does. And that is a double that is under the chaos factor. So it is a random event. I'm happy with myself for remembering that. So we are going to go ahead and determine an event focus for this. 32. Introduce a new NPC. Perfect. And we're going to roll on action and subject for this. 88, control, and that double doesn't create another random event. And then 5, control, inside. 
control inside. Well, the only thing I can think that they would need to control the inside of is the Griffin and Moon and the absolute horror show that that is. So I think the question was, does the Red Fox show up? And that was a yes. But maybe this new NPC is a proxy uh, that somebody that the Red Fox sent. Uh, it would have to be a new NPC, so it wouldn't be Erdira. So let's go ahead and ask the fate chart that. I think it's very likely that this is someone sent by the Red Fox. 30 is the result, and that is a yes. So we're going to introduce a new NPC, and to do that, we're going to pop over to Maze Rats, and let's go ahead and roll our d6, see if we're rolling on male or female names. One to three will be female, four to six will be male. A six, so it's a male name. Five and a six, Reinhold. It's a pretty good name. Reinhold. Does he get a surname? Um, yes, and I'm going to roll a d6. One to three will be upper class. Four to six will be lower class. One to three. A three is our result, so it's going to be on the upper class name. Four and six is Philophant. Reinhold Philophant. Wonderful. I think normally I would ask the question, like, what is his profession? Who is he? What is he? But we know that he is connected to the Red Fox, so I think that's going to make him a shade. And because the question was, did the Red Fox feel or sense that burst of magic in Heartvale, I think Reinhold Philophant is going to be another mage. So he is going to show up. Now, I think the other question, and this is a pretty important question, is does he show up because he was sent by the Red Fox in response to like the actual feeling of that magical energy going off? Or because the seers that are in the employ of the Shade saw some catastrophe that was going to happen and sent him to assist them. I think what I'm really asking here is, do these mages have some form of portal teleportation, or does he have to get here the old-fashioned way because somebody foresaw it? So I'm going to ask the question of, is he coming in response directly to this magical outburst and i'm gonna say it's very unlikely that it's directly related to this 82 is a no no it's not so the seers foresaw that there was going to be a disaster in Valewater, told the red fox and she dispatched reinhold philophant on horseback i think we should Definitely roll up a look for this chap and uh, see what we've got. So our appearance is going to be two and six. Delicate. What about a physical detail? Four and five. A mustache. He has a fine but perhaps delicate mustache. What is his clothing like? One and six. Dated. 
So his clothing is not in fashion. What's his personality like? Uh, six and one on this is going to be spacey. Perfect. And mannerisms. Five and six, squeaky. Well, we'll see if I can pull that off. So they emerge out into the light and they have this conversation with the other survivors of the crest when all of a sudden they hear the sound of a horse approaching. The soldiers of the crest kind of set themselves and turn and they see a horse riding towards them with this slight figure on the back of the horse. He has very sort of narrow, fine features with a well-kept mustache. His clothing looks like it has seen better days, but it was maybe well-to-do at some point. And he approaches and sort of gives a wave and says, Hello there. Oh yeah, now we're sticking with this. Uh, hello there. I, I'm I'm Reinhold Philophant. Uh, I was sent to help out the crest, and you look like the crest. Iron Gall turns and looks at his soldiers, and he says, "I beg your pardon. Who are you, and who sent you exactly?" I'm Reinhold Philophant, and I'm a shade. And he fishes out a shade coin and holds it up. I was informed that you might have some some issues that need assistance. I see. And how exactly are you going to help? Well, I've got a little bit of the talent in me, and uh well, I don't know. I I don't know what your problem is. Iron Gull approaches him and says, "Let me see that." and gestures for the shade coin, which Reinhold shows him happily. And Iron Gull studies it for a long time. And then he calls Arid over and makes a couple gestures to Arid in the crest hand sign to basically ask if it's legitimate. Arid responds with a yes after he has sensed it with his magical talent. And then Iron Gull looks up at this slight, delicate figure in somewhat dated clothes with a fancy mustache, and he says, Really? The Red Fox sent you? Yeah, yeah, she sent me. What, is there something wrong with that? I'm just having a hard time picturing the Red Fox, the head of the shade, sending you out here. Well, I'll have you know that I am a full member of the shade and have been for 15 years. I don't need that kind of guff from you, mister. Now, do you have a problem that you need help with or not? Iron Gold just sort of like looks at Arid somewhat helplessly, and Arid, who I think is, despite the grimness of the circumstance, just grinning widely, and he looks up at Reinhold and says, My friend, 
It is a pleasure to meet you and a pleasure to meet someone with the talent. Yes, we do have a great deal of problems here. You see, there is a bit of a mess back there and we need some help cleaning it up if you know what I mean. At this point, there's a sparkle in Reinhold's eye and he taps his nose and says, I think I know exactly what you mean. Don't you worry. Cleanup is my specialty. He's going to dismount and head towards the Griffin and Moon. All of the Crest soldiers that are standing there watch this delicate figure. And again, I think he's probably like five foot four. And he walks past Orchid, who towers over him and seems relatively unbothered by all of this. They watch him enter the Griffin and Moon, and then they hear a low whistle. And then he comes back out, and I think the Crest soldiers are all standing there waiting for him to vomit. He just looks at Iron Gull and then Arid and says, Yep, you got yourselves a right mess here. I'm glad the Red Fox sent me along. I'll see what I can do about making this all go away. And then he just kind of smiles faintly and then turns back and heads back inside. Iron Gull turns to Arid and says, Is he all right? I think he is quite fine. Seems as though he is in his element, as it were. And we are fortunate to have allies like the Shade, who are able to send us proficient cleaners. There's something unusual about someone so chipper walking into a bloodbath like that. Ben approaches, and I think he smiles a little bit and says, I've seen it before. There's a certain personality that walks into grisly scenes and deals with it with a plum. I'm sure the Shade use him often. Well, let's leave him to his work. See about getting our people out of here. They're going to gather up the rest of the crest, and they are going to move out. And they're going to head back to Hartvale. Now, I didn't set up a scene because I felt like the scene was carrying on from the end of our little Iron Sworn side quest there. But I think that they, relatively speaking, have things under control. So I am going to drop the chaos factor down to six for this next scene. And it's going to be the return to Heartvale. I'm going to roll a d10 and compare it to our chaos factor of six. A one. So we are beneath the chaos factor and an odd, which is going to be an altered scene. So this is the next logical scene idea. So instead of it being the journey back, let's say it is them reaching the city. And as they return to the city, they are making their way through the gate uh, I think because of the timing of everything, they would have gotten on the road and then had to camp on the road and then finish the journey the next day. But as they are entering the city, Iron Gull says, 
We have to get the lieutenant back to the crow's nest, and then we have to figure out what we're going to do with her. Does Ben know of anyone in the city who might be able to help? And I think he does, so I'm going to say it's very likely that he does. Chaos factor of 6, 90, which is a yes. Barely a yes, but it is a yes. So he says, Sergeant, I think I might know of someone who could help with this. Iron Gull looks at him and says, All right, Ben. Who could help with this? He says, There's a an apothecary in the North Scales, run by an old woman. She's been an old woman since I was a child, and uh, she's called Mother Tuma. She has been known to remedy many a malady, and it's possible that she might have some curative that would be effective in this. Iron Gull looks at Arid and he says, Arid, do you think that's something that might work? Or do we need to take the lieutenant to the shade and see what they can do? Arid says, I do not know for sure, but it is possible that some sort of alchemical curative might be uh, able to bring her out of this state of detachment that she is in. It is perhaps worth the effort to see. And Iron Gall is going to say, All right, then. We'll take the lieutenant back. Ben, you, Arid, and Orchid. Seems like you've worked pretty well so far. You head to this Mother Tumors and see what you can find out. Watch yourself. DeSoto's men are probably still out looking for us. Ben nods and says, Don't worry, Sergeant. I'll take the scenic route. Iron Gull chuckles and says, Well, just don't get distracted while you're out. I know you want to go to the scriptorium and tell them about that scholar, but we can deal with that on a different day. Ben nods and says, I understand, Sergeant. And he... Arid and Orchid are going to break off and head towards Mother Tumor's apothecary. As they're heading in that direction, is there anything that's going to waylay them? I think it is very unlikely. So I call this 45 or less on here. 49 is a no. So no, they are not waylaid on their way to the apothecary. They enter through the west gate, just inside the grasp, and they make their way north, through the streets, into the scales. That's where they break off with Iron Gull and the others, and they continue their way through the north scales and towards where Mother Tumor's apothecary shop is. It's on this long street of various shops and booths with sellers selling fruits and vegetables. There are people out there hawking all sorts of goods. And finally, Ben leads the two of them to this small storefront that 
is just off the road. It's kind of around a corner and half tucked into an alley. It's very much the sort of place that you have to know where it is in order to find it. And he leads them to it. And before they enter, Ered says, This Mazatuma, have you visited her before? Ben considers the question and then says, No, no, I have not been here myself, but I've heard good things. Ered says, Well then, let us see what we are getting into. And they enter the apothecary shop. There's a chime above the door, and it rings as they enter. It's a small shop, but it is abundantly packed with things. There are shelves going to the ceiling that are full of a variety of reagents and other ingredients that might go into a potion or a poultice. There are herbs hanging from the ceiling and there's a pleasant smell of cinnamon and cardamom and other fragrant spices. Arid, I think, takes a deep breath and says... Now this is a very wholesome place. Ben smiles and says, That is what I've heard. I've heard that her curatives are... Well, the best in the city. And that's saying something when we have Silverleaf's clinic here as well. Orchid, I think, sneezes behind them. And then says, What? I'm not used to it. Ben shakes his head and then looks around. There doesn't seem to be anyone here, which is odd because the door was most certainly not locked. He looks for a doorway to a back room, but as far as he can tell, the shop is simply this small room with these tall stacks and fragrant herbs. It's unassuming. And yet, I think as they are standing there, Arid says, Wholesome, yes. But there is something else here. It is... I'm not sure... They begin looking around, and I think Ben even goes so far as to say, Hello, uh, Mother Tuma, are you here? It's silent for a moment. And then an old woman's voice says, Well, hello there. How's it going, you three? And all three of them turn, and there is an old woman standing in one corner of this small, small shop where there wasn't before. 
Ben looks over at Orchid and Orchid shrugs. Ben looks at Arid and Arid is smiling from ear to ear. He says, That was wonderful. How did you do it? Do what, my dears? How did you come through that wall? It was not a doorway a moment ago. And now Ben can see that there is in fact a door there. He's not sure how he missed it before. Mother Tumor, this old woman with shining hazel eyes who looks at them with an endearing smile says, I just opened the door, my dears. That's all. Now tell me, what brings you to Mother Tumor's? I assume you need some sort of potion or curative? Ben steps forward and says, Yes, we are in search of a, a curative to bring our friend out of a... out of a state of... Uh, and he kind of turns and looks to Arid for help, and Arid says, Her mind is distant from her body. She engaged with a uh, powerful magical uh, item, and she is currently, let us say, walking the astral planes. Mother Tumor takes this in and nods. She says, You're crest soldiers, aren't you? The three of them look at each other and then to her. Ben says, And why do you say that? Well, you have the look of crest. Of course, I'm not used to having mercenaries in my shop. Oh no, it's it's usually only small poultices and potions from Mother Tumor, but this, this could be a great work, could it not? Arid, I think, steps forward and says, Yes, it could be a great work. Tell me, who are you? She looks at him and she says, who is any of us, my dear? Well, I am Ered, and this is Ben, and that is Orchid. Those are our names. What is your name? There's a little sparkle in her eye, and she says, Well, you may call me Mother Tuma. Though that is not my name. And with that, she looks at Arid, and he kind of takes a step back. And then she smiles, and she says, yes, my name is something else, as yours is something other than Arid. Names are such precious things, are they not, my young friend? Arid nods, and I think Ben, observing this, says, can you help us or not? Straight to the point, I see. Good, good. Yes, fitting for one of your station, my lord. And she offers a half bow, at which point Ben 
blushes a little bit. Then her eyes turn to Orchid, and Orchid says, patting Bone Eater, You might want to be careful what you say about me. I tend to have a little bit of a temper. Mother Tumor looks at them and says, A temper, yes. That I see. But so much more as well. Sorrow? Shame? Hope? Ah, yes, it's especially the hope that I see gleaming inside you. Hope for a better world. Yes, I like that. I like you three. Come, tell Mother Tuma what your ailment requires, and I'll see what I can do. Arid steps forward and explains the situation in as few words as possible, with as few details as possible. Is Mother Tumor able to assist in this? I think it is uh, pretty much a sure thing. 47 is a yes. Yes, she can. She listens and then she says, Ah, yes. Well, what you've told me leads me to believe that your friend has had a brush with a, a thing of the old world. It is well that you came to me. I have many potions and curatives that could bring her back, but, well, there is a matter of payment, of course. At this point, I think Ben and Arid share a look, and Ben says, Well, as you've sussed out, we are crest soldiers. We have money to pay. No, you don't understand, my dear. Something like this can't be bought for money. It has to be given, if you understand my meaning. I'm afraid I don't. Arid, however, says, I do. This is... And he turns to Ben and says, This is not a potion that any apothecary can make. This is magic of a kind that is rarely seen in this part of the world. Ah, you understand. Good. Now who, who will be willing to pay the price? And what exactly is this price, Mother Tuma? I don't know what the price is, so let's roll on action and subject. Eight. Oppose, 34. Oppose expectations. So this is a personal price that she is demanding from one of the three of them. And it is going to require them to oppose expectations. So what are the expectations that they might have on them? Well, we can talk about our threads at the moment. We've got travel to Davinar and confront the Vidala family. We have uncover Efren Felhart's connection, if any, with the Vidala. Restore the relationship with Merrick. And find a curative for Lephalia, which hopefully we're about to do. So those are the threads that we're currently dealing with. But what other expectations could there be for these people? 
I think Arid has this expectation of becoming a stronger, more powerful mage. Perhaps even one day becoming chief sorcerer of the crest when Lefalia moves on in one form or another. Ben's expectation is maybe a little bit harder to define. I think he has a family expectation placed on him, but he's already running away from that. He's already opposing that. So is there something else? Is there a different expectation on him? Is this expectation that he needs to be involved in the downfall of the Vidala? And what about Orchid? What expectation is on them? We don't really know Orchid that well, other than that they escaped from Faramork after dealing a bloody blow to a group that was trying to take over the kingdom. Do they have an expectation of someday returning to Faramork and finishing the job or making right what they left behind? I don't know. I'm going to roll a d6. One to two, Ben pays the price. Three to four, Arid pays the price. Five to six, Orchid pays the price. Three. Of course it's arid. There are powerful magics in the world, and magics this powerful require a price. Mother Tumor looks at arid. She says, This is a price that you must pay, my dear. You see, in order to Return your friend to their body. You cannot simply administer some potion and then expect it to work. This type of magic is is deep and dark and dangerous. They need a wayfinder, a bright, luminous thing to draw them back. Something that is deep within you, hidden. Ered nods and says, I understand. And I am willing to pay this price. Ben speaks up and says, Wait, what is the price, Ered? I don't understand and I don't want you to sacrifice your life or, or, or your power or something equally important for... For the lieutenant will find another way. Arid shakes his head and says, Things are moving quickly now, Ben. And there are many things that we must do. The lieutenant must return to us. And this way will be the fastest way. But don't worry, my friend. I'm not going to die or lose my power. Just make myself vulnerable. Ben says, I don't understand, but I respect whatever sacrifice you make. Arid smiles at him and says, you will understand in a moment. And then he turns to Mother Tumor and says, 
Do you need time to prepare, or shall we begin? She waves a hand, and a vial appears, and some other ingredients appear, and she sort of waves her hand in a couple of concentric circles, and the ingredients swirl together. Some juice is squeezed out of a fruit. Some herbs are drawn up and into the vial. And then she gestures and the vial lifts into the air and floats toward Arid. He takes it in his hand. He holds the vial to his lips. And into the vial... He speaks his true name. Thanks for listening to Errant Adventures, and thank you so much to Sirenscape for the lovely ambient sounds and music throughout the episode. If you enjoyed the show, please tell anyone and everyone in your life about it. And if you want to support the show directly, leave me a review or buy me a coffee at coffee.com slash errantadventures. That's ko-fi.com slash errantadventures. If you want to interact with me, my handle on Instagram and Twitter is at errantsolopod, or you can email me at errantsolopod at gmail.com. I also post short fiction and campaign-related materials on my website, errantadventurespod.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.